Let me encourage you to take your copy of God's Word, if you will, this morning and turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. I hope and trust that you are all well-rested. Everybody is well-rested. You got an extra hour. So there's no need or even thought that you should go to sleep today here or catch up in any way. This should be a great day for you actually to hear God's message or so as I preach. Is that, darling, David, you okay? You awake this morning? Good. You got sleep last night? I'm expecting to see you awake the whole sermon today. Usually you get about 10 minutes of it or so, but I'm grateful you'll get this. But Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 5 through 9. I want to talk to you today about work, about your job, about your career. And I know some of you, again, you'll say, well, I'm retired. <laughs> I, I, I can check out if, if for a few moments on this message. No, I'm going to talk to you a little bit later on in this message. But I want you to know that this message, I think, is really purpose for all of us. That all of us have work to be done. And we need to be encouraged by Scripture. Ephesians chapter 6 will, will speak to us, I think, and give us some principles about our work. Now, I recognize that as I read different polls and different studies, that so many people today are dissatisfied with their work. They're dissatisfied maybe with their job or maybe even their career. I was looking at one study some time ago, it was taken, and nearly 80% of the respondents said that they were not happy with their job. I mean, 80% of people. Can you imagine that many folks walking around every day and they're not finding joy maybe or fulfillment in their work? And there's so many, again, that would just, if, if they didn't have to, like, go to this job, if they didn't have to work, if they had the financial means, this is not what they do. They wouldn't have anything to do at all with this context. I was reading about a conference, as a matter of fact, where... They were talking about work, and uh, the speaker said, you know, if your long, long lost aunt passed away, and all of a sudden you got a note in the mail that you had received $10 million from her estate, would you still do what you're doing now? Or would you still work? And of course, most people said, absolutely not. I wouldn't work. I'd have money, I wouldn't work, I wouldn't do those kinds of things. But you know, again, work shouldn't be just about the money. It shouldn't be just about what you receive uh, and what you're paid. We're grateful for that. I'm going to, again, show that in a moment that that's one of the consequences of work. But it's got to be more. It's got to be more. Your job, your work, your, got, your career, it's got to be more than just getting a paycheck. Let me show you again from Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 5. And there in verse 5, Paul is turning his attention now. Remember, he's talked about the family. He's talked about the household. He's talked about how we are to have the right relationship in uh, our marriages. And he's talked about how we're to have our right relationship between parents and children. And now he continues to talk about those within the house. But here he's going to speak about bond servants. In verse 5, he says, bond servants. Now, before I go any farther, I 
feel like I've got to stop and try to explain a little bit about who he's talking to within the house. These are the servants who are taking care of so many things. And bond servants, even the system that the Romans had created, it was so complex. When you talk about bond servants, who are these individuals that are working in the house? Well, sometimes there would be people who would have given themselves over to service because of their debts, because of all of the issues that they had faced financially. In other words, it was kind of like the bankruptcy system of ancient Rome. If you, for some reason, could not pay your debts, what you could do is you could go to people and you could offer yourselves up for service. And not only yourselves, but you could basically offer up your family. And the family would move in basically to this household and they would work in order to try to uh, redeem their debt in some way. And it could be over some time. It could be years. It could be forever. It could be that they would be able to extricate themselves from that at some point. But yet there were also bond servants, not just who had offered themselves because of debt. There were those who had... Uh, well, those who had been defeated in battle. Remember, Rome was a warfaring empire. And there were times when they would defeat individuals and they would obviously take some of those folks and they would put them in the households. There were some times that these bond servants were unwanted children. That doesn't even sound right, does it? Unwanted children. But there were those in the Roman Empire who they would have a child and maybe they had wanted a boy and they got a girl or they wanted a girl and they had gotten a boy and maybe they just didn't want children and somehow they would just leave them to fend for themselves to even think that there would be a possibility. And sometimes these people would come and they would, they would take them in. I wished I could say it was a benevolent type of action, but it was not necessarily. They would just take them in. The Roman system was not a perfect system. As a matter of fact, I think it was an abusive system that they would use uh, to bring bond servants into the house. It was very, very complex. But in my study, a third or a half of those who lived in Rome basically were bond servants. Think about that. How many people? How many people lived within these households that were bond servants? And Paul writes to them. He talks to them. Now, let me, let me say that, that Paul is not necessarily endorsing the system. He is not doing that whatsoever. He's writing to talk to them about how they are to live within this system. And this is a corrupt system in so many ways. But he's writing to them to, to speak to them. You know, so many people today... They don't even want to look at these passages because there are those who would take these types of passages and they would try to detract from God's message. And let me just say again, just because Paul is writing here does not mean he is embracing the system. I would even go one step farther and say this. For those in the past who have tried to use these passages in, in some... Um, in some obligatory, inappropriate way of defending like the act of slavery, it is wrong. Look, slavery was always wrong and has always been wrong. It has never been accepted by God's word or God's people. Even Paul later on, and I just want to say this to get it out of the way, but Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 9 through 10, Paul says this, 
understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers. That word enslaver is slave traders, liars, uh, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. This Paul who writes this letter here also writes to Timothy. And what does he say? He says that this slave trade is not right. He speaks out against it. So he's not embracing it in Ephesians and then somehow speaking against it in Timothy. As a matter of fact, Paul is in house arrest when he writes the book of Ephesians, right? The book of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Philemon is all about how Paul was sent back one of these servants to this guy named Onesimus. And if you read that little letter, you'll see that Paul expects him to do more than what is obligated in his life. He expects him to treat him as a brother, I think, to free him from his bondage. With all that being said, I think we can still look at this passage and we can find principles our work today. It's not a one-to-one, obviously, but there are principles that we find in this passage that will somehow speak to us in our work and in our workplace. Look, for example, again, verse 5, bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you, masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. These words are almost verbatim, the words that he uses in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, through chapter 4, verse 1. He echoes the same idea what he is calling these individuals who are working under these circumstances to do. He says, first of all, you need to recognize that wherever you are, what station you are in, you are being, you're used by God. God can use you no matter where you are and what's going on. As a matter of fact, we are called by God, I think, to work itself and to our work. Notice Again, in this passage, in verse 5, it says that you are working as to Christ. In verse 6, that you are bondservants of Christ. In verse 7, you are as to the Lord. In verse 8, you are from the Lord, your own master. In verse 9, all of those verses emphasize that God is the one that is in control and he is the one who is working in your life no matter what station you find yourselves in. Now think a moment. The word vocation. If you were to go back and you were to study the etymology of that word, vocation, you would go all the way back and you would find in the Latin, the Latin root, that vocation means to summon or to call, right? To summon or to call. This morning, when you think about your vocation, I want you to think about it in the terms of a calling that God has given you. You have been summoned to this place. You have been called to this place. Now, usually when we talk about a calling in somebody's life, who are we talking about? The preacher, right? The preacher is called. The preacher is the one who is 
received some type of divine revelation, and he has been brought into this work of the ministry. And I would agree to you that there is a calling upon the minister's life. I still believe in God called pastors and God called preachers and God called teachers. I still believe in that. I believe God's the one that has to speak. Um, you don't just up one day and say, you know what? I think I'm going to be a preacher. You don't just get up one day and say, I think I may be a music minister. I don't, I, mean, I just, I don't think you just get up and say, yeah, this is what I'm going to do today. I think for a really, I'm talking about someone who has the anointing of God upon their life, they must receive a call from him that God has to speak. And I, I remember, I've told you before, I was 16 years old. I was sitting on the front pew of the, of the little church that I was serving. It came the invitation time, a time when I was supposed to get up and lead the invitation. And I knew I couldn't lead the invitation until I dealt with the Lord first. I had to surrender to God's call upon my life. I knew that. And I'm so proud I did because I need that call every day. Because the call holds me in place. Right? With all the stuff I see, all the mess in people's lives, all the difficulties in church life, do you not know it has to be the God call upon our lives that place us as pastors and keep us convicted and keep us in place and stabilized? I often go back to that place and say, God, I know that's what you asked me to do. But listen, there is not that distance between the sacred and what we think of as the secular. God should have a call upon your life. We have placed an artificial wall between the secular and the sacred when God wants to use all work and make all work sacred. He wants to use you. What you're doing, who you are, he wants to work in your life. He wants to put a calling upon a teacher's life. He wants to put a calling upon a banker's life. He wants to put a calling upon an engineer's life. He wants to put a calling upon the janitor's life. He wants to put a calling upon that one which stays home with the kids. He wants to put a calling upon these lives. There is a summoning, a calling that he brings it is a task for a lifetime. The occupation you have right now may be the opportunity for the moment that God has given you, but there's a calling that he has placed upon every life in here. He wants to speak, and he wants to use you. He wants to work in the, in the worker's life. God himself is a worker. He was. I mean, he is. Look at the crea creation account. And God's work and how God worked not only in creation, but God continues to work in sustaining. And how God wants to use us in his work every day. Think of Adam. I remember uh, Dr. Douglas Bain at Blue Mountain College talking to us about Adam and his work. Uh, doc, Dr. Bain, what school were you, Dale? Is that right? About 85 years ago at Mississippi College, y'all were in college together. Isn't, isn't that right? You just had y'all's reunion. Uh, but the... Um, Dr. Bain used to tell us, he would say, you know, that Adam, his job was to tend the garden. Look at Genesis. Even before the fall now, even, see, most people think of work as a product of the fall. That is wrong. God had a work for Adam even in paradise. See, some of you think, oh, I'm going to get to heaven one day, and I am not going to work anymore. That's paradise. Well, I'm not sure of that. Because God had a purpose, a task, a work 
for Adam before the fall, before sin entered into the world, he was to tend the garden. He was to take care of things. He was to work on it. You and I are about tending the garden. If we're back to our, our initial purpose as, you, as human beings, we're back to tending the garden, the garden that God has given around us. I'm not talking about just an environmental kind of state. I'm talking about we're tending the garden that he has placed us in. That means the people that are around us, the folks that we come in contact with, the things that we have purpose and plans with. Now, yes, work got difficult. Sin makes work difficult. Again, when Adam was placed out of the garden, it was, it was pretty tough. The labor of the ground became much harder. But Adam was given a gift. He was given a calling, a task. And I want you to hear that in your life. God's got a call. God's got a task. This is, this is what he's saying. He's saying to you that are in the household and you're serving. He said, no, that you are doing this as to Christ, you are bondservants of Christ. You are doing it as to the Lord. You are going to receive from the Lord. And you do, you do this because he is your own master. In other words, whatever you do and whoever you are, whatever station of life God has placed you in, God has a call upon your life, and he wants to work within you. So if God calls you to work, that means God directs you in your work. He directs you in your work. You work for him. Notice again verse 6 and verse 7. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to, the, and not to men. Who's your ultimate boss and Lord? God is. Jesus Christ is. Christ is the one that you're working for. Whatever workplace you find yourself in, yes, you are, you're probably going to have a boss. You're going to have somebody. You're going to have an employer. But ultimately, in your work, what you need to realize is God is the one who's directing you and guiding you. He's your ultimate boss. He says, you don't want to do it just as men pleasers. You don't want to do it uh, in order to catch their eye. You, you know the way some people... Uh, uh, well, I was listening to some folks this week, and they talked about kiss-up workers, kiss-up employees. You ever been around those kind of guys or gals? Like when the boss came around, they were kissing up all the time. They were working, they were working, they were working. But when the boss left, <laughs> not only did they not work, but they probably were very frustrated with the boss and would tell you all kinds of things about the boss. Ever again, you've met these people? You worked with these people before? He says, You don't work just because you know the boss is coming. You work because you know Christ Jesus is watching. You don't work just because you think somehow you're going to develop favor with your earthly employer. You work because you know that your heavenly employer is watching you and demonstrating favor. Even in verse 9, I always, like, this is exactly the way it's set up in Colossians 4.1 too. He says, and you masters. Now, the word masters or master that you find in verse 9 is the word like kurios. Kurios in the Greek is Lord. 
Usually when they would talk about Jesus as Lord in the Greek, they would say something like, Jesus Kyrios. In other words, Jesus is Lord. He is the one. So here it says, those of you who think you're lording over other people. In a way, he's talking to employers. He's talking to bosses. He's talking to everyone in this place who has a position. He says, even you, those of you who think you are the one who calls the shots, he says, don't you forget that your own master also is in heaven, your own Lord. So in verse 9, in the beginning, it's like little L, you masters or lords, lords, little L. And he says, don't you forget you even have a sovereign over you, the Lord with a big L in heaven. So it doesn't matter what position you're in. If you're an employee or you're an employer, you have a boss. And you should work for him. That, that in some way will affect our purpose. What's our purpose in work then? What's the purpose in the career? It is not to please your earthly boss. It is to please your heavenly boss. You are to please him, praise him, and glorify him. No matter what type of earthly boss you have, you, you don't have to be so concerned about that. Some of you, you may have some bad bosses. Any of you ever had some bad bosses? Don't point fingers. <laughs> some of you have had bad bosses, maybe. But again, if you say, okay, I've got a bad boss, that's okay. You're not trying to please that bad boss. You're trying to please the good boss in heaven. Well, this person is difficult. That's fine. I, I'm praying for you. And yes, I will hope that God will do something in the relationship. But understand, your purpose and work is not to please somebody earthly. Your purpose is ultimately to please Christ Jesus. And that affects you. When you're saying that you're working for him, that you are working with a state of purpose. Again, whether you're an electrician or you're a lawyer, you're a supervisor, you're a preacher, you're a mom, you're a dad, whatever. Your purpose is to please Christ in your work. I shared this quote a few Sunday nights ago. I love it. I found this some time ago when I was studying through and reading this idea of work is worship. And I came across uh, this quote from John Stott. John Stott was one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century, I believe. Uh, certainly impacted me in some areas. And also, as you read through his communication preaching books, amazing. But this is what he said. John Stott said the expend that work is the expenditure of energy, manual or mental or both, in the service of others, which brings fulfillment to the worker, benefit to the community, and glory to God. That's what true work is, he says. He says it is an expenditure of energy, manual or mental or both. I always stop here when I talk about this quote because I'm so proud he included the mental in here. I don't do as much manual, but I do a lot mentally. Some people don't understand that. My dad. <laughs> I've shared before, like, my dad, I mean, he was, my dad drove a truck for many, many years. He drove locally. He was a teamster. He was very proud of that, very proud of being a part of that union. 
and he was proud of the work that he did. I've shared with you about my dad before that that's one of the things he instilled within me was the idea of work, work ethic. If there's one thing my dad gave to me, it was the idea, you work. Now, again, his understanding of work was manual labor. Like, my dad would drive the truck, but he also, when he got to the place to make a delivery, he got out of the truck. He didn't care if there were people there to unload it or not. He unloaded it. He didn't sit there and wait on somebody else. He needed to make some more stops. He was ready to go. That was the way my dad was. He just, he didn't sit still. Now, he kind of has after retirement, but that's another sermon for another day, all right? But he worked. And he would come in, and he would have grease on him, and he would have sweat. I mean, he would come in in the evenings. You could tell he had worked. So sometimes he doesn't understand the work of the preacher or the pastor. He'll call me on Sunday night sometimes, or I'll call him. I actually call him. He doesn't call too often. I call him usually. And um, he'll say, hey, what are you doing? How are you doing today? I said, well, I'm tired, Daddy. I said, oh, yeah, really? said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of tired. It's Sunday evening. And stuff. Yeah, what did what, what, you do again today? <laughs> well, Daddy, I preached a couple of sermons this morning. And, you know, uh, this afternoon we had, we had some meetings at the church. I had to be back up there early. And then tonight I preached again. He said, yeah, sounds like it'll tire you out. I don't say it as much anymore because I know I'm going to get my feelings hurt, you know, but <laughs> I've, I've, I've kind of uh, taken this quote from Stott and I've, I've kind of put it together. I think I'm going to give it to him here in a few days. He just turned 80. This is going to be his 80th birthday present when I see him because I want him to know that where it can be the expenditure of manual or mental or both energy, kind of that expenditure of energy. He, Stott says, it can be that type of work, that type of energy, but basically it's in the service of others, and it brings fulfillment to the worker. Are you fulfilled in what you're doing? Do you find fulfillment? I'm not saying you're happy all the time. Did, did, did I say that I'm happy all the time? Most people think, oh, the pastor gets everything. You really think I get everything I want? Now, I'm pretty blessed. I will admit to you. But do you really think there are times of disappointment and discouragement? There's going to be time of dis disappointment and discouragement in every job. I don't care what job. There are going to be difficulties. God never told you you were going to get away from difficulties when you followed him. I don't care what kind of TV preacher you've been watching. God didn't say he was going to remove every kind of issue from your life. Here again, this is not... I think the godliest system. As a matter of fact, I think it's an abusive system. And yet, what he says is that you can find a place and you can use it for Christ. You can use whatever place God puts you in. You are to look at your purpose. You're to utilize it to, to benefit the community and bring glory to God. I read somewhere some years ago that when they were building the French Louvre, the museum there, the famous museum, when they were building it, that even the workers determined that their construction was fitting into the plan of God. They had a purpose. God was using them. And what they would do is they would put a cross on each of the stones to represent that this was the purpose. 
This was what God, they wanted it to glorify God. And you and I need to draw a cross upon every aspect of our work. Not necessarily literally, but spiritually. We need to draw a cross and say, we want this to fulfill not only our lives, but we want it to bring glory to God. Whatever we do. It affects the work product, doesn't it? He says, with goodwill doing service, verse 7, he talks about in verse 5 that you do it with sincerity of heart. Sincerity of heart. The idea that you're producing excellence with everything you have. Christians ought to produce excellence in the workplace. We ought to be giving it our best. I've often said, still believe, that you and I as Christian believers, we ought to be the best workers, companies, businesses, anybody would have. We would be the best because we have the best purpose and we have the best Lord in which to produce the best product. It's excellence. We want to do service. Joseph of the Old Testament, some years ago I was preaching through his life, through the patriarchal life. And I was really consumed when I would read about his service, especially there in Potiphar's house. It says that he served. The Old Testament, the Old Testament word for service there is the word for worship. So it's the idea that as he was going about his service in Potiphar's house, he saw that as a ministerial type of undertaking, a worshipful event. And what did he do? He produced the best. Joseph is one of those that even though life was so evil toward him and he had the brothers he did and all the calamities that seemed to have come into his life, what would he do? He'd produce, he'd produce excellence wherever he was. Produce excellence. And you would see him as God fulfilled his plan in his life. You and I need to be like that, of working in a distinctly Christian way, a modern-day Obviously, believer who's going on to be with the Lord is true at Kathy there at Chick-fil-A. And you know what he used to say? He used to say that you save 10%, you give 10%, and you work 10% harder than anybody else as a believer. He says, as a believer, that's what you do. You save 10, you give 10, and you work 10% harder. Because you want to demonstrate excellence in your witness. Ultimately, we know what? Not only are we called to God in our work and we're directed by God in our work, but ultimately we know that we are rewarded by God in our work. Isn't this what Paul says? Paul says, and you masters do the same things. Again, there's no partiality with him. But back in verse 8, he said, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he's a slave or free. I'm working for eternal benefits. Now, there are earthly rewards I'm okay with you paying a preacher. I'm all right with it. Thank you. Appreciate you. We're having a budget next week that you're going to vote on. I think you're still going to pay me for a while. Very grateful. There's something about biblically where you are to work in order to receive income. There's nothing wrong with that. 
But it's got to be more than that, as I said earlier. Some of you are college students. You're working. You're saying, hey, I'm going to get a diploma and graduate. That's cool. Your parents want you to graduate. They're tired of paying. But graduation is not an end of itself. Again, there's some of you in here, they're working. You said, I'm just working for the paycheck and I'm working for retirement. If I can just retire. Well, I'm grateful that God will give you more opportunities. Maybe God uses the season of retirement in people's lives to, to be able to serve more and, and be more uh, maybe plugged in in some areas. But listen, you're not, you shouldn't be living just for retirement. As a matter of fact, I don't think anybody truly ever retires. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you're not to hang it up. You're not to... God's going to use you. There's some of you who are maybe retired from the workplace, but I'm telling you that God has a call on your life and he wants to use you still. He wants to use you here in this community and he wants to use you on short-term teams. He wants to use you in a lot of different ways because God has given you the finances and he has given you the time so that you can be active for the kingdom. God has not given up on you. It's not just about earthly reward. It's about eternal reward. Luther said, Martin Luther said that in the work, we demonstrate how we love him and we love our neighbor. That's basically what he says. He says, within your job, within your work, you should find ways. How do I love him? How do I love my neighbor? How am I demonstrating service in my workplace? How am I demonstrating service in my job? You're doing it with an eternal perspective, though. How can I affect eternity? How can I impact eternity? Some of you say, well, it's so easy for you to figure out you're a pastor, you're a preacher. It's all about eternity. Folks, it's always all about eternity. You're a nurse. It's about eternity. Yes, you were taking care of somebody in their temporal need. Still about eternity. You're a teacher. It's about eternity. It's about how you are impacting children and students for eternity. You're an engineer. It's about how you are impacting the people around you that God has given you influence. How you are impacting them for eternity. Understand it's always about eternity. Always. Life is but a vapor which appears for just a little while. And then it vanishes away. Folks, if it's just about the name I make for myself here on this earth, if it's just about the things I just can accomplish here temporally, you realize how short that's going to be in the grand scheme of life. But oh, how to impact eternity. How do I impact eternity? When you show them that work and whatever they do, that everything just comes back to Christ. How do you impact eternity? You show them Jesus. How do you impact eternity? You live for Christ. How do you impact eternity? You show them that even when you go through those difficult times, Christ Jesus makes a difference.
You show them Jesus. You work for him. Because you were called by him, you were directed by him, and ultimately you will be rewarded by him. Because Christ is our work. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for these moments. And God, how you have an army here. An army in this community. And God, I pray that as we go into our stations each week, when we go into our workplaces, when we go into the classroom, when we go into the office, when we go wherever it is, Lord, wherever we are, may you help us see that our work can truly be a worshipful event as we touch eternity for you. God, today, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this place. I pray for, that you would give them a renewed sense of passion and purpose in their workplace. I pray, Lord, for those who are ready to give up. I pray that you would energize them once again. I pray, Lord, for those who are just looking at um, the end goal of retirement or maybe for students who are looking just at diplomas, God, that you would speak to them and show them a greater agenda that you have. And when we leave this place, may we be workers, may we be missionaries, may we be people who direct others to your son, the master, the Lord, the only one that we can get forgiveness from, Jesus himself. And God, we ask it now in all of these things in your holy and precious name.